I want to talk to you this morning about don't stunt your growth when it comes to your spiritual journey. And I want you to think about today where you're at in your journey. This is really going to be the simple gospel. This is Christianity 101 today when we talk about don't stunt your growth. And so I want you to find your place in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 as we turn, let's stand and open the word of God together. Chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, we'll look at verses 1 through 16, but I just want to read uh, the first six verses to get us started this morning, looking at the subject of spiritual growth and not stunning your growth and getting in on all that God has for you in this journey. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord urge you, walk worthy of the calling you have received. I heard a graduate last night use that same phrase, challenging her classmates, walk worthy of the calling you've received from God. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit and the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Some translations say in you all. In the South, we would say in y'all. There you go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel that has saved us and the spirit of God who lives in us all that have come to Jesus as that true cornerstone by faith. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak. Lord, our hearts to understand what the Spirit of God is saying through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, I don't know how many of you have ever fought that battle. Uh, I'm on the other end of that battle now, but not wanting to stunt your growth. You wanted to grow. You want to become strong. and You want to become healthy as we look at all of these people graduating preschool. Tina, uh, as we were watching this video just a moment ago, she said, wasn't it just like yesterday that Our kid was graduating from preschool, and then last night, graduating from high school. It happens so fast, and and so physical growth is something we want to see, intellectual growth. We want to see them grow socially, and yet spiritually, a lot of times, is the one area of growth that is neglected. Recently on Mother's Day, during a uh, baby dedication, I was able to share that we are to grow in wisdom and stature, that's uh, to grow intellectually and physically. But we're also to grow as Jesus did in favor with God, that's spiritual growth, and favor with man socially. But spiritually, again, is often neglected. And that's what the the Apostle Paul is confronting here. It's a great time for us in all that's going on right now. With these graduations and everybody taking the next step in life, it's a great time for us to be reminded that we're to be growing up spiritually. We're to be becoming that man of God, that woman of God, that God has called us to be in him. And there are steps along the way that I want us to think about whether or not we've encountered these steps. We say here at Trinity that our mission is to lead our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. That means discipleship and evangelism are never mutually exclusive We are building relationships to connect with people to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is the first step of a journey, a process that they're beginning. Not so that we can 
put a notch in our belt and say another one has come to Jesus? Haven't I done my good duty? Not so that we can say, well, at least they're a member in the church now and they're on our side. No, it's about leading people to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ, knowing him, loving him, and serving him throughout their lives. Now, I love Ephesians and Colossians. During this little break between the two series I'm doing, and I can't wait in, in June, we're going to kick off our next book series, the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about being unconquered, and, and, and there's a lot of things, a lot of questions you have had for me about the book of Revelation, and if I don't know the answer, we'll dig together, and if we together don't come up with the answer in God's word, we'll leave it in Jesus' hands, but I'm looking forward to that study, but during this time, I want us to focus on where we are in this journey. Before we get, and listen, we can never be too excited about Jesus coming back one day, but right now we're in the nasty here and now. So what are we to be doing while we're here? And so Ephesians and Colossians kind of mirror one another in that Colossians was written to talk about Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church. Christ is head, and we are the body, but the focus in Colossians is all about Christ as the head. And then in Ephesians, you have a, a description of body life. Christ is still the head, but the focus is now on what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ. And so Paul uses this, this anatomy language as, as kind of an analogy. Christ is head, the church is the body. And a body is to be growing and healthy, as far as I can tell, as long as it's still connected to the head, right? And so if we're connected to Jesus, we're going to be growing and healthy. And so, uh, you know, when, when you're a child and you want to grow big and strong, you, you know, you're like, eat your vegetables, right? When I was a kid, we watched Popeye, so we knew we had to eat our spinach. Nasty. But we had to eat our vegetables. We had to take our Flintstone vitamins because we were Flintstone kids. I was talking to someone recently. Their kid was taking a Flintstone vitamin, and I thought the kids don't even know who the Flintstones are anymore. But, you know, we had to eat our vegetables. We had to take our Flintstone vitamins because we were Flintstone kids, and we wanted to grow healthy oh, and, and lay off the coffee because that would stunt your growth. But as Christians, how do we grow? He deals with that, and Paul deals with that in, in Ephesians. Uh, the wonderful thing about Paul's letters is often there's a, the, the first half of it is doctrinal. It says you just need to know these things about who God is and the, the character and nature of God and how he's at working and what he's doing and, and, and what salvation is and all of that. And then he moves from the doctrinal to the practical. And so we find that transition happening in Ephesians after he's told us all these wonderful things about what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ and what it means to be saved. He kind of moves in to say, okay, let's, let, let's show you the practical side of this in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so we're seeing a transition into the practical while we look at these early verses in chapter 4. We see how this journey of spiritual growth, we might call it a journey of encounter and growth, but we see how this journey of spiritual growth plays itself out in your life and in my life, hopefully, by the grace of God and in the power of God. And he gives us maybe a little bit of a checklist Maybe some choices that we have to make along the way. But certainly something that you can look at this morning as we work through this, these verses in chapter 4, you can look at this and say, where am I in my journey? Or how well am I submitting to the process? And I don't want you to just say, see, if we're not careful, I will say as a preacher, and you will say as a Christian, you will say, how am I doing in this process, as if it's us making all this happen. 
Uh, there's a wonderful paradox of faith here. We do have choices to make, and we do have work to do. We're creating in Christ for good works. But you might look at it this way. How well, how well am I cooperating with what God's doing? God's doing the work in and, and through us. But how well are we cooperating with that process of spiritual growth that God's bringing about in our lives? And so you can look at these as level, even though they, they, levels as, even though they all kind of overlap and ask yourself, where am I at in, in each area of the journey here? And the first area is just the, the basics. It's just the gospel here. It's, are we evangelized with the message of Christ? Every man, woman, boy, and girl needs to be evangelized with the message of Christ. That's why we're involved in this Bible translation project, is to make sure that the Word of God, I believe it was, um, people often attribute the statement to St. Francis of Assisi that faith comes by, I mean, not faith, that's, that's the Apostle Paul in here. Um, they attribute to St. Francis of Assisi, um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I've always heard there's a couple things wrong with that statement. One is there's no record that St. Francis ever really actually said that. And number two, words are always necessary because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so they, everybody needs the Word of God. That's where the process starts. We need to hear the gospel. To be evangelized it has th that word, the gospel message in it, ang angelos. You see the word angel right in the middle, the word for message. It's you, the prefix. It's good news. We need to be evangelized with the message of Christ. And so in verse 1, he's reminding us if it's real, if the gospel is real, if everything in chapters 1 through 3 about the salvation is real, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, look, he says, I'm in house arrest because of preaching this message. And I'm telling you through this letter, walk worthy of the calling, this calling to salvation, this calling to Jesus Christ, walk worthy of it. Live out what you have received. There should be a difference in your life if you are saved. It's not like, you know, that, that I gave it the officer, I've done that kind of thing. It's not yeah, you know, have you ever given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, I've done that. Been there, done that, and oh, I'm going to heaven. And so a lot of people have a false sense of security today because they say, well, I, I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, or I was baptized, or I went through some ritual. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away, all things are becoming new, so that we can all stop and ask ourselves this question, has there been a time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, turning from sin and self, and as a result of that, changes begin to take place of, uh, because of the work Jesus was doing in my life. I begin to, to work that out. I begin to walk it out in my life. Is there evidence? The evidence of that spiritual journey is often seen in the fruit of the Spirit. And so he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness. What, what are we seeing here? We're seeing character traits, fruit of the Spirit, of God. We, we read many of these in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23. With patience and accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace or with the peace that binds us together, there's going to be evidence, fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character. Are you becoming more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Do you have a desire to be more like him tomorrow than you were today? And, and in these verses, it's primarily, remember Ephesians is talking about body life and us being attached to the head who is Christ. And he says the, this fruit of the Spirit is primarily being fleshed out in body life is how you relate to other believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there a peace that, that binds us together because of the unity that the Spirit brings 
into our lives. So we need to do a little fruit inspection when we ask, have I been evangelized with the message of Christ? Have I put my faith and trust in the gospel of what Jesus Christ did for me? Not depending on myself, not depending on my works or anything else, but trusting in Christ alone for my salvation. In John chapter 15, we're told that uh, if we're abiding in Christ, we will bear much fruit. There will be fruit that gives evidence of our being in this journey, of us having initiated this process. And then he says, you know, basically, you still have to make sure you believe right. It's not that you turned over and you leave. It's not that you decided you were going to do better. It's that you believe the gospel. So he begins to break down the gospel again, and he says, I want you to know there's one body. Now, it's not just Baptists, by the way. But the one body are those who have come to Jesus Christ by faith and repentance, turning from sin and self and trusting him alone. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. One hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, in all, or through all, and in you all. And then he speaks of that grace that was given to make that happen, but also grace that brought the gifts into our life as a result of us trusting in what God did for us. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So he says, be sure that you've believed rightly in the gospel of what Christ did for us. In verses 8 through 10, it kind of speaks of that humiliation and exaltation of Christ. Verse 4 says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity and he gave gifts to his people. And as he begins to provide translation for an Old Testament passage, he says, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. That God laid aside certain attributes of deity in Christ. As John 1 says, the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He descended to the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10, the one who descended is the same one who ascended far above all heavens and earth, that he might fill all things. Christ came to this world. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose on the third day, and he ascended to be with the Father. And when he ascended to be with the Father, he had already made a promise that he was going to descend again, but different this time, through the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ. And by the way, Star Wars fans, the Holy Spirit isn't like the force that may be with you. The Holy Spirit is the very person of God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Holy Trinity, with us. We call it the third person of the Trinity, but the very person of God living with us, living in us, and living through us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 says, the righteous requirements of the law, you're like, man, I can't get this Christian life right. You're exactly right. But the gospel says the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us when we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. In verse 9 of Romans 8, it says if we have not the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to Christ. That means when we come to Jesus by faith and repentance, that he not only saves us and forgives us of our cleanse and prepares us a home in heaven, but his Spirit takes up resident in our lives. He begins to live in us. If the Holy Spirit is not living in you today, now it doesn't mean every Christian is a Spirit-filled Christian 
Doesn't mean you've opened up every door of your heart and your home and, and, and that the Spirit has flooded and overflowed like He should. But if the Spirit is not in you whatsoever, then you do not belong to Christ. And so the gospel is that when you came to Him by faith and repentance, He came to live inside of you. And so have you been evangelized with the message of the cross? When I was a teenager in the 1980s, we had Dr. Bailey Smith come to this area and do a couple of crusades, and I've often admired Bailey Smith, and he preached for us there at the church I served in North Carolina, and we saw a great revival there. And Bailey Smith is getting on up in years now, but uh, uh, through his sons and stuff, I still see uh, a little bit of um, uh, Bailey Smith's testimony and things that he's done, and, and you can now find sermons on YouTube and wonderful things like that. But Bailey Smith will always be known for one of his sermons. You know, there are those preachers like uh, it's Jonathan Edwards who preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He'll always be known for that message. People um, uh, like uh, R.G. Lee preached Payday Someday. Always will be known for that message. And Bailey Smith will always be known for his message on the wheat and the tares. And some of you have heard him preach that. Some of you have heard him preach that two or three or four times. But he uses the parable that illustrates this point very well. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Jesus tells a parable that basically is a great agricultural parable where the, the farmers had planted, uh, had gone out, or they were working for their master, and they had gone out and they had planted, and somebody else in the night, after they had planted the wheat, came out and planted tares among the wheat. And a tear would grow and look just like wheat, except for when it was time for harvest, the tear would be empty. And they would say, well, listen, we can't tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. They're all kind of growing up together. And the master said, look, don't try to harvest the tares right now because you'll probably hurt some of the wheat along the way. But just wait until it's time for harvest. And when we begin to harvest, we'll begin to easily separate the wheat from the tares. And it was a reminder that Jesus was giving that not everybody who says they're a part of the kingdom is really a part of the kingdom. And that there's coming a judgment day when, when people will find out if they were truly evangelized. Were they the real deal? Was Jesus truly living on the inside of them? Or were they just kind of growing up like the rest? And our churches today are full of people who are kind of in there doing the things, going through the motions, turned over a new leaf, trying to change their life, but, but they don't have anything real on the inside. And it will take the judgment day to separate and discern all of that. Have you come to a place in your life where you can say, I know that I know that I know I've given my heart and life to Jesus Christ, that he is living inside of me, that his spirit is living inside of me and beginning to change me and produce fruit inside of me? If there's been no change, there's been no Jesus. If there's been no Jesus, there will be no change. The Holy Spirit isn't just convicting you of sin. By the way, I... I have falsely said that many times. One way that you know that you're saved is after you get saved and you sin, the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of sin. The problem with that statement is that Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of judgment and righteousness. So you can be lost and the Holy Spirit convict you of sin. But if you're saved, not only is the Holy Spirit convict you of, convicting you of sin, the Holy Spirit is beginning to produce fruit in your life character change in your life, making you more like Jesus Christ as he lives through you. So, man, how do I continue to see that happen? And I said these, these encounters will kind of overlap, so that kind of moves us into to what's next here. Not only am I evangelized with the message, but am I equipped for the ministry of the cross? 
Have I been, am I being, will I continue to be equipped for the ministry of the cross? Notice when he begins to describe these spiritual gifts, and I want to explain all of these because we just did a study on spiritual gifts a few months back in 1 Corinthians, and we alluded to these leadership gifts in the church where it says he personally, verse 11, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, or if that is a compound, if we're to take that as a compound word there, pastor teachers. And then he says, here's why I've placed those spiritual leaders in the body of Christ. It's for, first of all, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It's for the equipping of the saints for those saints to continue to do the work of the ministry. In other words, leaders, the spiritual leaders that God has gifted and placed in the church, their responsibility is not to do all of the work of the ministry. You did not hire me or Pastor Ben to do all of the work of the ministry, or we would be mere hirelings. You called us, and really what you were saying is we believe God has called you to help equip us by modeling so that it's not a way for you to, you know, kind of... Uh, get out of this if you're in a position of spiritual leadership. We're to model it, so we're to do ministry. But we're to equip the body, to equip the saints. Like saints, I thought those were dead people who went on to be to, uh, to, to, to heaven and then they were recognized for their great deeds and then they become saints. No. You became a saint, you became a set-apart one when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You were made as holy as Christ is holy positionally, and he is working that out practically as you yield to his Spirit's work in your life. Some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. I just wanted to go to heaven. I didn't sign up for all that. Well, there's a problem. If you didn't sign up for all that, you didn't sign up to go to heaven. He said in chapter 2, remember, he got to the doctrinal first. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. The gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship right we're his workmanship so he he saved us for works that he created for us in advance and so he's got some equipping that he wants to do in our lives and he raises up spiritual leadership in the body to help do the equipping now i'm told i believe as paul pointed out to timothy in first timothy chapter three that i'm to do that equipping with the word of god Primarily, the equipping is taking the Word of God and equipping the body so that every man, as he told, he said, this, this Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is profitable for the equipping that, that, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So my major responsibility is to take the Word of God and to equip you for the work of the ministry, that we may all be serving the Lord. The word ministry there has to do with service. The word equip or train, as we saw here in the Holman standard, is the, the word for equipping is the word training, to, to be trained to do what God has called us to do. So we're given this responsibility as pastor teachers to equip or train the saints for works of service in the kingdom. Kent had one of his friends yesterday share about being enlisted before he graduated he enlisted into the military you know you don't enlist just so you can wear a uniform and say that you serve you enlist because there's a work 
to be done. Paul says we're to be good soldiers. As Christians, we're to serve as good soldiers, he told Timothy. And so we enlisted, we received the gospel, we were evangelized so that we would be equipped, given the equipment that we need. As Kent's friend Joey will soon learn, he will be given equipment and he will be taught how to use that equipment. And many of you who have served know exactly what I'm talking about. He will be trained to become excellent in using that equipment. When you were saved, it wasn't so that you could join a church and sit sour and soak. It was so that you could be equipped to do the work of the ministry that God has called you to do. And my responsibility, Pastor Ben's responsibility as he comes along beside me as a partner in this ministry is to equip you and encourage you to give you all the tools we possibly can to say, let's get on with this ministry as soldiers, good soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're equipped for the ministry of the cross. That's why teaching is so important. That's why part of this gospel preaching that I'm doing includes teaching. I've heard pastors say before, man, we ain't got time to do all that teaching. We just need to preach the gospel, and they can learn, and they can grow on their own. Well, the problem I've got with that is God's called me to preach the gospel, yes, but to do so as a pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so while some of you under the sound of my voice are hearing the early elements, the, the what we might say, rudimentary elements of the gospel where you need to respond by faith in Christ alone. Others of you need to be equipped to do the work that God has called you to do. And what's interesting in this passage, Pastor Ben, I found this very interesting as I look back over this because sometimes I'm hesitant here, is he talks about their equipping before he gets into their spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Sometimes I'm guilty of saying, well, let them grow more mature in the faith, and then we'll give them something to do. And then I realized this is God's plan. This is the way God's working. He's saying, get busy in ministry, and you know what? You'll have questions that will make you grow. You know, if any of you who, when you became parents, you dads out there like me, if you thought, man, I'm going to learn everything there is about being a father, and then I'm, then I'm going to have a baby. Well, I'm not going to have a baby. Tina's going to have a baby, right? We'll have children when I learn everything there is about being a dad. Now that one's graduated and another one's a couple of years, I think I'm starting to learn a little bit, a little bit about what it means to be a father. That's why grandparents are grand, right? That's why great-grandparents are great and grand, because they've been around long enough to learn a thing or two. And so, when, you know, that's, that's how you learn to be a dad. You just jump in the fire. When Tina had an emergency C-section, and she's in recovery, and they hand me this little baby. I'm like, what do I do with this? And I follow the nurse, and she teaches me how to bathe this thing, and somebody else teaches me how to change this diaper and all that. I learned how to become a dad as I accepted my responsibility as a dad. And I believe a lot of people don't mature spiritually because they aren't serving the Lord. They don't embrace the Word. They're like, well, when I grow in my faith, and they never grow in their faith because nothing demands. I'll tell you one thing. You start teaching fourth and fifth graders in Awana or in life group, and you will do your homework. You let some kids start to ask you questions. I had some preschoolers here have kept me busy trying to answer questions before. You will begin to grow spiritually because people are watching you. I, because I had a son who was saying, I want to be like my daddy. It made me stay on my toes 
and you will be spiritually mature when you accept your responsibilities and you say, man, as I'm serving the Lord, a lot comes with that. And, and so as I plug in and serve, whether it's in front of people or behind the scenes, if I'm serving, man, I've got to be living it. And so you begin to grow spiritually as a result of saying, I'm, I'm going to be equipped to do the work God's called me to do. And all are called, going back to verse 1, all of us are called to flesh it out. Some of you are waiting. <laughs> you're still waiting. You're, you're saying, man, I, I think I'm going to serve in this area. Give me one more year. Just one more year, and you're, you're kind of waiting. Others of you are waning. You've been serving before, but you've lost that fire, and you lost that passion, and you just need to find a place somewhere to get on your face before God and say, renew that passion, renew that fire in me when I was driven, and I wanted to serve the Lord out of a full heart. And it wasn't drudgery, and you wouldn't sit there thinking, oh, but that's going to be hard work because you were so in love with Jesus Christ. You did it out of the overflow of what the Spirit of God was doing in you. Some of you are waiting. Some of you are waning. And Paul is saying, those aren't the options. Don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Don't wane. Don't wait. Roll up your sleeves. Get in the game. We've got to be equipped for the ministry of the cross. Ministry placement team's going to be trying to solicit some help. And this morning I shared with our life group what they really love. What, what the ministry placement team really loves is before they get to you, you get to them. And they say, Pastor Rob, you wouldn't believe it. So-and-so came to me and they said God's got a call in their life. They want to serve in this area, so we're just going to plug them in. Rather than trying to fill out blanks on a page, they're helping people discover their calling and their gifts and serve where God's called them to serve. Be equipped for the ministry. Embrace it. Tackle it. And then watch yourself begin to move to this third level. Being edified toward maturity as a Christian. Where are you at in this stage? Being edified. The word edified means to be built up. Look back at verse 11. It says, personally he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the training of the saints, that's the equipping, for the work of the ministry. Then to build up the body of Christ. There's the building up of the body of Christ. This is towards spiritual maturity. How do we know that? Look at verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and the knowledge of God's Son, growing, Second Peter 3, 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory both now and forever, amen. Grow up as a Christian. Now, if every pastor was truly preaching the message that, that God probably had burdened them about today, they might stand up and say two words and send you home. Churches all across America, pastors would stand up today and they would open their Bibles and they would, they would say, grow up! All right, let's go. But he says, we're growing up into maturity. We're a stature, a stature measured by Christ's fullness. As I'm becoming more like Christ, that the fullness, as, as I'm surrendered and yielded to his spirit, he's beginning to make me into who he wants to make me. I'm serving and I need that. I'm equipped and I'm embracing my call and I need more of Jesus in me. And so I start to yield to that process and I'm being edified, built up. And as a church, we're building one another up. As, as leaders, we're to be building up the body of Christ this way. And that kingdom first mentality, that as he described earlier in this passage, loving others as the evidence, we begin to be built up as a church. And, and when we neglect those first two stages, 
and, and then we fail in the area of spiritual growth, then it becomes evidence because rather than being built up in love and rather than being in a unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace, there's all kinds of chaos. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. He said, you know why, why there's a lot of conflict in a lot of churches, and I'm glad that we're not seeing that here, but the reason there's a lot of conflict in a lot of churches, he says, because of spiritual immaturity. It, because churches are filled with people who are consumers, not body people, who, who are part of what God's doing. It's kind of bless me, make me happy, make me feel good about myself. Let me check that off my list, and I'll be on my way. Spiritual maturity means we've embraced the disciplines of the faith, praying, having that daily time of worship, committed to corporate worship with the body. We become selfless. Our feelings are not so easily hurt anymore because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. We begin serving him out of the overflow of what he's doing in our life. There will be people today who darken the doors of a church for the last time. That they will go to a church somewhere that they've been attending for many years, and they go just saying, I'm going to try it one more time. Bless me if you can, preacher. Bless me if you can, praise team, choir, whatever style of worship they have. But if somebody hurts my feelings today, if somebody steps on my toes, if somebody doesn't encourage me like I wanted to be encouraged, if I don't get that pat on the back or that hug that I needed, then that bad experience is going to drive me away from church. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I've been to many restaurants before, some that I've had wonderful experiences and some that I had bad experiences. And the bad experiences never kept me from going back to restaurants. But yet a lot of people will say a bad experience in church. Why is that? Spiritual immaturity. The consumer mentality, not growing up and accepting responsibility for our spiritual growth and nurture, for embracing our responsibility for others in that process. But when we do embrace it and we begin to mature, we begin to grow. We hunger for depth in God's Word. We hunger for more prayer, more devotion. There will be more and more people digging into God's Word. I'll see more and more people trying to take notes on sermons and things like that because you're like, man, I want to learn this stuff. I want to grasp this. I want to grow. I've had members call me and say, listen, I was there that Sunday that you preached this message, but I went back online and I listened to it again because I wanted to get this. I wanted to understand what it is you were saying. We begin to become more and more hungry for the Word of God. We have that favorite podcast or Bible preacher outside of church. We find ourselves trying to keep the, Christi the, the, the radio station more on those things that feed us spiritually more often than we used to. It's not just the, okay, the latest country or rock or hip-hop or whatever. I want something that makes me think about Jesus more. Spiritual maturity. And it's fleshed out in our lives. You're like, man, are you, are you discouraged by where churches are today spiritually? Absolutely. The, the number of people that claim to be born-again Christians should turn this nation upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're barely even noticed anymore. It's because of spiritual immaturity among people who say that they're Christians. All you've got to do is scroll through social media and find out what people are saying that claim to be Bible-believing Christians. 
what people are doing, what people are posting that claim to be Bible-believing Christians. That's why, and I don't know if these young men understood that or not, but those who are going to Southeastern Seminary, when they applied to seminary, that seminary checked them out on social media. It's like, hey, Southeastern Seminary is following me on Twitter. I'm like, you better believe they're following you on Twitter. And if they see something they don't like, they'll let you know. (laughs) Maybe churches ought to be that way, right? Pastor Ben calling up parents. You know what your child just posted on Instagram? Yeah, he, he wouldn't do that because he'd keep him busy all day long. And sometimes you get those, you're like, man, it's spiritual immaturity. I can't believe they posted that. And I'm like, man, which one of the teenagers posted that? He said, no, Pastor Robbie, it was their parents that posted it. Man, we reveal that we've got so much growing up to do spiritually. And then finally, that we might be established in the mutuality of the church. What do I mean by Mutuality. That's the quality of mutual dependence. Mutual dependence, fellowship, sharing of sentiments. It creates a synergy. Creates a synergy. There's a question that uh, I like to ask in a first premarital counseling session. And by the way, while I'm there, uh, let me say a big congratulations to Jeff and to Morgan this morning who got engaged. Uh, We've been so busy uh, the past couple of weeks, we just need to celebrate that. But let me just give uh, Jeff and Morgan a hand this morning. (laughs) Jeff knows that we're all just thinking it's about time, what took you so long. But he probably thinks, though, Pastor Ben, that he gets to exempt any kind of premarital counseling whatsoever. And the reason he probably thinks he gets to exempt it or test out of it or whatever is because Pastor Ben, and I've chipped in some too, but we have been counseling this young man for about four years now. That's why he made such a good choice, right? Now, we've been counseling, we've been counseling him for some time now. And there's a question that I think that they could answer for you marvelously, and I won't put him to the test in front of you. But there's a question I ask these young couples that want to get married. And here's the question. It goes something like this. Why will the two of you be stronger for the kingdom together than the sum of your efforts could ever be alone. And listen, if a young couple can't tell me why they're going to be better together than they ever could, the sum of their efforts ever could be alone, then I'll say you're not ready to be married. You need to be able to explain to me why the two of you together are going to be stronger for the kingdom of God than you ever could be alone. And I usually get some good answers before we move on. But that should be true of the church as a whole, as the body of Christ. That when we come together, there's a synergy. Synergy means that the sum of our collected efforts together are more than they ever would be working individually. When we come together, we see in verses 14 through 16 that God is doing, He says, then we will no longer be little children. Why? Because we're growing up. Not tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Why? Because we're maturing our faith. We're beginning to know our stuff by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into him who, has, who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together. Folks, you are a beautiful tapestry. Fitted and knit together. By every supporting ligament. Now, you might have to ask, am I being a supporting ligament? Listen, I've got one ligament 
in my left leg that's not being supportive right now. It just kind of disappeared. I'm thinking about getting surgery one day, but that, that ACL on my left leg, it's not there. There are some people that kind of like that in the body of Christ. They're, they're not supporting. Everybody else having to pull more than their weight and overcompensate, but he says we're, we're knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual's part, and every individual has a part. That's why it's not enough when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I know I hadn't been in church in a while, but I want you to know I really missed it. Well, I'm glad you missed it, but you know what? You robbed us of something when you weren't involved, when you didn't take your ministry, when you weren't maturing, when you weren't part of what God was doing. We were robbed of that ligament. We need that ligament. We need you helping us create that synergy, that mutuality in the church that we might be well established. 1 Corinthians 15.58, for those of us that are still here living this side of heaven, we're to be steadfast, established. We're to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We, we can't look at churches like American Express. Remember that? Those of you children of the 70s or older, American Express, membership has its privileges. Yeah, membership has its privileges. Membership has its responsibilities. They didn't tell you that part. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. We have our responsibilities. And odds and history tells me, and I'll close with this observation when it comes to mutuality of the church. The odds and history tell me that many parents who celebrate graduations at first preschool, then high school, and so on, many parents who got their kids involved in our church because there was a strong student ministry, and they wanted their kids to avoid many of the temptations of the world. Many of the parents in our churches today, once those kids do graduate and they go off to college, many of those parents are going to disappear because they're like, man, I needed the church to kind of help me keep my kids off drug, sex, and rock and roll and everything else. Whew, past that stage, see you later. Because the parents didn't grow and mature and become dedicated disciples of Jesus Christ. They didn't remain or those, those who stayed didn't remain shallow. They weren't social gospel Christians who had to just be a part of a social organization. They were committed members, ligaments in the body. So as we look over these points, have you come to a place where you say, I know, I know, I know that I'm in this. I'll show that I'm in this, and I'll grow now that I'm in. I know, I'll show, and I'll grow. Where are you at? Would you bow your heads?